And now it is time for the Ecology Hour. Good evening. I'm John Azaro, and happy to be your guest host for the Ecology Hour tonight. Before we start, I want to thank all of the listeners who have pledged during our spring flash drive and extend a welcome to all of our new members. The last time I did the Ecology Hour was with Larry Desmond, and that was in 2009. I had just returned from a month-long ocean research expedition to study the plastics accumulation in the North Pacific Gyre. This evening, we'll talk about that trip and what has happened in the ensuing years, and leave time for your calls and questions. This program idea came about as part of a vision of four local artists who conceived of a June art show in Ukiah called Reclaimed. They are using their art they created to raise awareness and inspire action on local and global environmental issues. I'll give you more details about their art show at the end of the hour. Most importantly, I will soon welcome our special guest and my longtime good friend, Mary Crowley. She's the founding director of Ocean Voyages Institute, who will join us shortly by phone. But first, I'd like to set the stage and narrow the topic a little bit. When we talk about oceans, there's so much to talk about. I'm neither an oceanographer nor a marine biologist, but when Mary called to invite me to sail on that first mission to study the giant garbage patch north of Hawaii, I didn't hesitate to accept. My role was to be the communications liaison for the mission, and my lifelong background in communications gave me some creds. Having done plenty of blue water sailing in the U.S. Coast Guard, working on a Norwegian freighter, and actually owning a sailboat of my own, made me comfortable and really excited about the plan. Ocean Voyages had recently acquired the 151-foot Japanese sail training ship, the Brigantine Kaisei. Kaisei translates as Ocean Planet, and Brigantines, as you may know, are large, tall ships and uh, quite quite impressive. Um, Mary as assembled a crew of 25, including myself, um, and that included the ship's company, six scientists, four videographers, a couple from the BBC, and everyone aboard was there to work. There were no passengers on this voyage, and none of us knew what to expect as we set out from Sausalito that day. The fourfold mission of this maiden voyage was, first, to locate and identify the area of the gyre and its contents. Secondly, to collect marine debris examples, take water samples and sea temperatures around the clock. Third, to experiment with plastics harvesting techniques and deploy resources for both active and passive prototype collection methods. And lastly, to communicate the scope of the problem. For the first plastic was produced in America in 1907. More and more plastic formulations were discovered over the next few decades, and production really took off after the Second World War. Since 1950, over 9 billion tons of plastic have been manufactured. We now produce 380 million tons of plastic annually. 380 million tons of plastic annually, and the vast majority becomes trash within a year. Less than 10% is recycled, 20% is incinerated, and most go to landfills, often in third world countries where it is burned or buried. California now leads the nation in the dumping of plastic waste in developing countries. We send 27% of the United States total away. 
There's no such thing as throwing it away because there is no way. We only have one planet and one big ocean. Plastic trash has been found on every continent, from the peak of Mount Everest to the depths of the Mariana Trench. Every bit of plastic ever made is still on our planet, and a large portion winds up in the ocean. Well, we began trawling for plastics just outside the Golden Gate when we sailed from Sausalito. And by the time we reached the Farallon Islands, we were already collecting it. The mood on the ship suddenly became solemn. Mary Crowley first noticed plastics while sailing the North Pacific in the late 1960s and founded the Ocean Voyages Institute in 1979. Since 2009, she has dedicated her work to solving the problem of the cleanup of marine debris, including consumer and industrial plastics and derelict fishing gear, which entraps sea life, kills reefs, and marine habitat. There are 11 ocean, oceanic gyres of floating plastic trash in the world, and five massive ones. The largest of all, which was our destination in the North Pacific, is, they say, bigger than the state of Texas. Um, and unlike Texas, it's moving around. At the surface of these gyres, plastic is 180 times more numerous than nutrients, which is devastating the marine life. It is estimated that by 2040, the ocean will have more plastic by weight than fish. That's just 20 years from now. This is a crisis. I expected to see a floating garage sale out there with lawn chairs and flip-flops and toys. But in fact, while not biodegradable, the molecular structure of plastics breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces due to temperature, motion, and sunlight, creating microplastics, which never go away and are now in our air, rain, and snow. Not to say there wasn't lots of plastic trash, like bottles and crates and buckets and floats, straps, and those ghost nets, which are jettison fishing gears. Really dangerous, those ghost nets. We had watches on the bow of that sailing ship uh, with lights on at night and all through the day in case we would come upon one of those nets because it would foul the prop and we would be immobilized. Uh, counting on sails in the doldrums doesn't always work. Simplified, the problem is that zooplankton ingests the confetti-sized plastics. The plankton is eaten then by jellyfish, which are in turn are eaten by the apex predators and on up the food chain, stepping up the toxicity ten times in each progression until they wind up in our fish sticks dinner. Since plastics bioaccumulate in the food we eat, it is now found in our blood and mother's milk. It's been said that each week we eat a credit card's worth of plastic, over 40 pounds in a lifetime. The plastics entering our bodies through ingestion or inhalation can lead to an array of heart, uh, an array of health impacts like cancer, cardiovascular disease, impotency, and developmental delays in children. It's way past time to do something about this situation. Well, that's about enough for me. At this time, I'd like to welcome Mary, and since we haven't spoken for a long time, nor rehearsed or scripted this program, I thought a good format would be just to share our conversation with you and welcome your calls and questions at the end. So um, I'm going to ask our engineer, Eddie, uh, can we bring Mary up, please? Hello, Mary? 
Hi, Eddie and John. Hi. Nice to hear your voice, Mary. And uh, I uh, am, can think of so many things to ask you about. And I, But I first want to just thank you for taking the time to join us tonight. Um, how are you doing and how is Ocean Voyages doing at the moment? Well, I'm doing just fine. And uh, Ocean Voyages Institute is... Um, getting ready to have hopefully another great season of cleanup out in the Pacific Gyre Garbage Patch area. Uh, we've been quite active, as you know, John, the, you know, we started in 2009 on that memorable voyage that you did a wonderful job describing just now. And, uh, you know, we did a similar voyage in 2010, and then we did lots of smaller voyages, lots of cleanups on different types of vessels in between until we got to uh, 2018. Um, and at that point, from our voyages, our initial voyages and all the subsequent work, I, we began to really realize that the ocean had this amazing way of sorting plastics. So I'm sure, John, you'll remember, you know, on our voyage, I think at one point we came across four or 5,000 lawn, those big white laundry detergent bottles. Mm -hmm. And it, they were spread over miles of ocean. And then in another area, I think we came across a lot of beer crates and soft drink crates. And the truth is, you know, when you see all these like things together, uh, you know, some people think, oh, well, they must have been dumped together. But the fact is that the ocean currents over years have them end up in same areas. And so we figured out in our desire to go out and do really efficient cleanup of nets and other big debris, one interesting thing to do would be to um, create GPS satellite trackers that would last for a year, year and a half. Um, in the water transmitting signals. And so we created these trackers, and then we had various vessels of opportunity, everybody from uh, racing sailors coming back from Hawaii or people going on vacations or Greenpeace or Sea Shepherd or different delivery captains that would offer to take our trackers, which are about the size of a soccer ball or a bowling ball, um, and we put a tether on them and then a carabiner, and people can then co connect them to the large ghost nets or other large pieces. And so that turned out to be a real breakthrough on speeding up our plastic collection. 
I, and so, I, I just have to uh, say, excuse me, I just have to say, I remember when we came upon the first ghost net. It was actually a floating reef. There was all sorts of fish life under it, and we tried to figure out how we can get it aboard so we could bring it back to show people. And it was encrusted with all sorts of sea life, and we had to use an acetylene torch to try to cut it apart just to be able to haul it aboard. And I, I just, now that you can put GPS trackers on them, it makes such good sense. So that that's a brilliant thing that's come about since our voyage. Yes, and and so it we started putting them out in 2018 and the beginning of of 2019. And so the summer of 2020, we worked with a wonderful sailing cargo ship, which is really an ideal type of vessel to be picking up ghost nets. It had a cargo hold of about 200 tons. It had a wonderful crew, including a lot of Pacific Islanders from Kiribati and Christmas Island, Hawaii, very hardworking and dedicated crew. And they went out there, and in 25 days, they managed to bring in 82,000 pounds, 42 tons of plastics um, by going and picking up all the tag nets. And just as we thought, they would get to, you know, one of the more striking things they did is they picked up one tag net that maybe was about a two-ton net and then not like 10 miles away from that, they came across like an eight-ton net that it took them quite some time to get on board. But those sorts of discoveries proved that our theory was working quite well. So in 2020, we wanted to, of course, expand our operations and, of course, 2020 um, put us with our pickup season being May, June, July, August. It put us kind of right in the middle of the pandemic. And um, we tried to figure out how we could go forward with our cleanup and be sure we were doing it very safely because we certainly didn't want any month-long or longer expeditions at sea where there was any illness. So we did a lot of testing and a lot of quarantining of people, and we ended up running two expeditions on the same wonderful sailing cargo ship and bringing in 340,000 pounds, um, 170,000 tons of debris. And, uh, you know, that is definitely the largest cleanup that's ever happened mid-ocean in the gyres. So there was a lot of joy and congratulations from around the world that, you know, there's been so much talk about what's happening to our poor ocean 
with all the toxic plastics and all the reefs that are being smothered and all the animals, the sea life that are being killed. And everybody was just so happy to see this successful action, including ourselves and our whole team. And so um, we were excited and we decided our goal for 2021 should be bringing in a million pounds of plastic. Uh, We are are gearing up to uh, do our best to reach that goal, and we're we're very excited to be continuing these missions in the North Pacific Gyre area. And next year, we're intending, of course, to still continue, but to expand to other parts of the world because we're hearing from people all over wanting our assistance because this is quite the global issue. Well, first of all, Mary, I'm, I'm impressed but not surprised. Your dedication to this is amazing. And despite all of the protocols of the pandemic, that you were able to go out and harvest that much trash um, is remarkable. I'm curious to know a couple of things. First of all, where are you bringing it when you bring it back? Um, I know that when we came back, we went down by AT&T Park to the South Bay Yacht Club and had a press conference, and we displayed a lot of the stuff that we picked up. But obviously, it wasn't 84,000 pounds worth. Um, where are uh, you taking these uh, things that you're harvesting now? Well, that's a great question, and it's really what so many people want to know. So I can tell you what we did last year, and uh, we are going to do um, many of the same things this year, and we're exploring a couple of new things. Um, There is um, um, a Covanta plant run by Hawaii Power, H-Power, that will if it has with NOAA uh, nets to energy program. And so they are happy to take as many nets as we bring in and turn them into energy to power the homes in Hawaii. And the people of Hawaii are very pleased when we do that because, uh, you know, I've learned a lot. I've been blessed to know a lot about sailing my whole life, but I've learned a lot about waste management, and that's a field I'm still learning about um, because it's a relatively new interest of the last dozen years. And um, the way that the contract is set up, unless Hawaii provides a certain amount of garbage to the plant, then the people of Hawaii have to pay more on their power bills. So they're always very happy uh, if we come and and create some of the nets being turned into power for their homes. Of course. And Uh, I've read, Mary, where those ghost nets are entangling the Hawaiian monkfish and that tons and tons of marine debris are accumulating annually on the northwestern shores of Hawaii. So um, anything that can be done to stop that from happening is obviously going to be really a well-accepted idea. 
Yes. So, I mean, uh, I've been very honored and pleased that people in Hawaii have been really, really excited and appreciative about our work for the reasons you're you're wisely saying, John. Then, then other things we did. Uh, we we have a, a partnership with Matson, who believes very much in our ocean cleanup goals. So they helped us bring uh, some materials to Oakland, and um, we have some. Uh, partners um, in the North Bay around Santa Rosa that have a microwave um, process of pyrolysis that turns plastic either back into pure plastic or into different grades of fuel. Mm -hmm. So um, they took some of our debris and did that, and then we shipped some to uh, Los Angeles, where there's a very interesting company that turns plastic into building blocks for construction and insulation boards. Oh, that's and a- so. Mm. That, that's that's amazing because when we first went out 12 years ago, we had no idea what to do with it and whether it could be used in any recycled ways. I know we talked about converting it back into pellets and, and now, um, you know, we're not only recycling it, but we're upcycling it. I recently bought a pair of glasses that were made in China and right on the packaging it said 100% ocean recovered plastic. And I see where they're making smartphone cases and trash and 9 by 12 rugs, and even auto carpeting from ocean plastics. Can you think of anything else that are being made from recovered ocean plastics, Mary? Well, many, many things. One thing that we are looking into, because we find it quite fascinating, is they're discovering that putting plastics materials into roads makes the roads last longer, the roads not heat up as much. So there's various good aspects in that process. And so we're learning more and looking into that. So one has to be very careful what happens with plastics. Like a lot of, um, you know, our goal is to be sure that the plastics don't end up in a landfill or back in the ocean. And so when, when you're choosing products, you know, you want to choose products that aren't very likely to be thrown away soon. So, you know, we would prefer building materials to sunglasses or, um, you know, just anything. Though, you know, it's good to see any kind of upcycling, but, and one thing that's of concern is uh, plastics are turned into clothing, but then the clothing, when it's washed, can uh, create lots of microplastics. Mm. So, you know, there's more and more innovation regarding all the things you can do with plastics and we certainly applaud that innovation and are trying to uh, learn more and more about it. But we want to be careful that 
you know, we're supporting the things that are going to, uh, you know, not create any breakup of more plastics where, and to, you know, try to be the most environmentally sound. You know, like I always worry, you know, there's some beautiful stories about uh, schools in Central America and different places being built out of plastic bottles and or windows in places, but plastics give off a lot of toxins. And so, you know, I'm very um, conservative about wanting my engineering team to really check out, to try to choose the things that, you know, we can feel good about making sure they're not creating harm. Well, but sure. it's a very a complicated world out there. Well, indeed, and, and certainly construction materials, road surfacing materials, those are really good uses of plastic. Um, and uh, it amused me when you said how uh, the plastics are being used for different things. I mentioned at the top of the show that there are four artists, there are quilting artists that are doing uh, a June show uh, about the environment, and they've made quilts out of uh, using plastics. They've woven uh, plastics into their quilts. Um, another question, Mary, is uh, I, I know what Ocean Voyage is now after you've explained it is doing. Uh, are there other recovery eff efforts happening either in the North Pacific or any of the other major gyres in the world? Um, you know, there's been some wonderful recovery work done in Scandinavia. Uh, good friend of mine who's Swedish and a brilliant photographer and filmmaker uh, created lots of film documentation about all the nets off the coast of Sweden. And he got the government there to finance doing a lot of cleanup. And I believe there have been similar efforts in Norway and there are efforts in the Mediterranean, and those are the only ones I know of. I'm trying to think carefully. Uh, I don't mean to be leaving anybody out, but they're certainly the ones that come to mind that have been quite successful and well, well done. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of... Um, places of the world where people are doing extensive beach cleanups and coastal cleanups. And, um, you know, the, the good thing about this terrible plastic epidemic that's in our ocean and all over our planet is it is an issue that practically everybody can help with. And we can help by, you know, refusing all the throwaway plastic knives, forks, cups, plates. Uh, and we can help by making sure plastics we use get recycled, repurposed. And people participating in cleanups all over the world. There's harbor cleanups. There's park cleanups river cleanups, 
this is all good, but something that I also try to pay attention to is any ways we can facilitate things that are cleaned up being responsibly recycled. Because sometimes people put all this beautiful effort into cleaning up plastics and then they put it into their garbage system and it's going to end up in landfill. Right. And, you, you know, John, I know you understand, you know, what ends up in landfill because plastic is so light. A lot of it ends up blowing away and getting into nature and including rivers and oceans. So that's why we feel that recycling piece, uh, you know, your statistic of less than 10% gets recycled um, is very true. And it's been, the statistic has been between 8 and 10% ever since I started paying attention to this. And it, it would be wonderful to see that figure increase. Sure. You know, um, when we were out on on station uh, in 2009, we were joined by the New Horizon, the Scripps Institute of Oceanography's research vessel. That was quite amazing to rendezvous out there in the middle of the Pacific. Um, have have has Scripps continued to uh, contribute to this problem? Not contribute to the problem, but contribute to the studying and solution of the problem, uh, to your knowledge? Um, well, you know, Scripps, is an amazing research institute, and we were honored to collaborate with them back in, in 2009. And out of that voyage, the particular, a few of the particular scientists uh, on the New Horizon have gone on to really study plastics and, and do a great deal. In, in the area, um, you know, Scripps is primarily a wonderful research facility, and, and they don't really get involved in um, the kind of advocacy work and solutions um, as we're able to do as a small nonprofit, sure. um, but, but they, they are wonderful Research Institute, and um, Chelsea uh, uh, Rockman, who uh, was one of the students there, has her own lab now. Um, I should know where she's located. I think she's located close to the Great Lakes or Canada. I will, will look that up and tell you. Where, because she's gone on to become a top plastic scientist, mm. and uh, so that that was a good collaboration. Because you know it's hard to believe because now a lot of people know so much more about how toxic the plastics are and the importance of taking action. Uh, back in two thousand nine, this you know garbage island or garbage patch, uh, a lot of people thought it was like an urban myth. Uh, when we were raising money for our expedition, you know, people weren't very 
sure how much this existed. And that was part, we ended up raising money, in fact, to help Scripps uh, spend the time out there. Mm. We raised eight days of funding for them to be able to be in the gyre with us because we really wanted to document everything. And, of course, we loved the team of six scientists. We had, led by Dr. Andrea Neal, um, and we felt the Scripps uh, participation was a wonderful asset to really having a very thorough scientific view of what was going on in the gyre. That's great. And and probably your other alma mater, Woods Hole, is doing similar research, too. So, uh, you know, that's that's encouraging. I've also heard that there's a young entrepreneur, perhaps from the Netherlands, I've forgotten, who's put a lot of energy and money and resources into into uh, ocean recovery stuff. I, are you doing who I'm talking about offhand? Yes, yes, that probably Boyan Slav. Exactly, yeah. Dutch, and uh, he has the ocean cleanup from the Netherlands. Right. Yes, it's an interesting contrast because, you know, I'm a great believer in innovation. Uh, we're, you know, our GPS satellite trackers. This year, we're doing a lot of interesting drone work with bigger drones and multispectral drones. And uh, but you know, Boyan uh, set out to tackle this by uh, innovation. He really considers himself to be a technology company, mm-hmm. and his idea was to create a device that you could tow out to mid-ocean and then have there with sea anchors and have it be collecting plastics. And, um, you know, to date, that hasn't worked terribly well. Um, But now he is, I I think he's going to keep trying, um, but... You know, I think he's also doing some work in rivers. And one of my beliefs and um, is I kind of feel that the maritime industry, you know, everything from sailing cargo ships to small freighters to work boats to fishing vessels, and all the wonderful architects and marine engineers, I believe that we can adapt and utilize existing equipment and existing technologies to do this cleanup. You know, it's not something where we need to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. We, we know a lot about good ship designs and good designs to retrieve things, and and so I think we should use the knowledge we have so we can be moving forward with solutions right now. Are we making, I I appreciate that, and I'm wondering if we're making any progress with uh, not having um, 
commercial fisheries throwing their nets overboard, you know. I mean, obviously, if something separates and they can't get it back, but, I mean, discarding that is just as bad as super tankers uh, dumping crude oil, you know. Uh, and, and I'm just wondering, is there much uh, ocean policing uh, and scrutinization of that kind of thing? Uh, well, um, no. That's what I thought. (laughs) Uh, Mary, I just realized, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I had promised our listeners that if anyone wanted to call in and speak with us, with you, um, that they can call the studio. It's uh, 707-895-2448. And if we get any calls, I know people have been calling the station for the last six days to pledge, but if we get any calls, we can have those questions answered. And if not, you and I can finish up because I still have many more things I'd love to talk to you about. So, um, Eddie, if anybody rings in on our line, 895-2448, would you patch them through, please? Thank you. I have a caller now. Nope, we lost the caller. Okay. Um, you know, Mary, I just, while we're waiting to see if, if more calls come in, I just wanted to make that available. Your friend and, and the National Geographic oceanographer, Sylvia Earle, called the oceans our blue heart. I thought that was such a poetic and, and beautiful uh, way of symbolizing that. They represent, the oceans represent 72% of our Earth's surface. And unfortunately, they've become a toxic dump um, in many places. Um, and there are commons. That's what we all share. I read today in, in today's paper that they discovered 25,000 barrels of DDT uh, dumped near Catalina Island. That's somewhere between 350 and 700 tons of poison. Um, and I remember living in growing up and living in San Francisco, that that the city used to dump its trash from barges hauled out to the Farallones. And I think New York did the same thing offshore in the Atlantic. And after years of that trash walking, washing back ashore, they finally said that's a bad idea and they stopped doing it, you know. Uh, so... Uh, I, I think we're we're catching on. Uh, it's it's a big hurdle to overcome, but it seems like we're we're definitely making progress. Eddie, just let me know if you get any calls, and I'll, uh, in the meantime, I wanted to I wanted to say something encouraging. Tomorrow night, Joe Biden is going to speak to Congress at six o'clock, and our station will cover that. And um, he's been president for a hundred days, and his. Uh, attention to our environment has been remarkable, certainly to a lot of aspects of everything from the pandemic to the economy. But, you know, uh, it's been very encouraging for the planet. Some of his environmental initiatives are, beside rejoining the Paris Accords and reducing carbon emissions, it's canceling the Keystone and XL pipeline permits, stopping fracking and old-growth logging, and drilling up in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, replacing lead pipes, encouraging solar and wind generation um, over coal-fired plants, and establishing a conservation core. I um, I just am encouraged by that. It seems like it's such great progress. We have another call. So, hi, uh, this is John, and you're on the air with Mary Crowley and I. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not prepared. Oh, okay. Well, when can you're you prepared... Can you put me on hold? Uh, you can, we'll put you on hold, and you call back. Uh, and we'll okay. Thank okay, you. thank you. Sure. Um, and, you know, as you said before, Mary, plastics are, 
you know, a hundred percent man-made problem, and they have to have a hundred percent man-made solutions. Um, that plant-based packaging is becoming more common is a really good thing. Um, a move towards bioplastics and away from single-use petroleum-based plastics is encouraging. I just came back from several national parks uh, in the Southwest, and none of them sold bottled water. They just had water dispensers to fill your own bottle. Let's go back to that caller, Eddie. Thank you. Nope, we lost her. I guess. Let's see. Okay, well, uh, she will call back, I presume. So, you know... There are lots, people will wonder, what can we do? You know, how can we help in this problem? There are seminars and workshops popping up everywhere in our country. Last month, the Wallace Stegner Center in Salt Lake held its 26th annual symposium on the plastics problem. And tomorrow, from 10 to 11.30 in the morning, the Elder Action Network is having an online Zoom workshop on single-use plastics. Um, they can be found at elderaction, one word, dot org. And um, I think that would be good. Now we have a call. Hi, you're on the air. No, you're not. Okay. Uh, well, we're trying. Speaking of I elders. I was going to say, yeah. John, mm-hmm. you might be interested that working on the selling of uh, plastic bottled water in the parks was something that was all done by citizens and think tanks here in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area that then spread beyond here. And so, you know, it's a good example of how citizens can get involved and help create changes in the right direction. And, you know, it's really nice. I, I I'm lucky, and I think you are the same, John. I, I, in my life, I've known a lot of wonderful environmental heroes, and it's always worthwhile to watch how they go through the world just with a degree of care and concern about their own actions, about not using too much water when they're washing dishes, about um, not using um, any throwaway plastics, you know, about just things they do themselves. And they don't preach to people, but, you know, people ask them sometimes why they're doing such and such. And I think that kind of person just, living the best they can figure out how to in terms of being aware of our precious planet. And you were mentioning, you know, my good friend Sylvia Earle, and one of the things she says now, in addition to the ocean being the blue heart of our planet, she talks about the ocean really creates two out of three breaths that we take. And so keeping a healthy and clean ocean is really a way of keeping good air for ourselves to breathe. Well, Mary, and so, I, yes. I, I, I totally agree. We have one caller who I think has been trying to get in. Let's see if we can take the call. No, we keep losing them. 
Okay, well, um, we're having somewhat of a difficult time receiving calls. You know, Mary, uh, you're right. It, it's uh, our true work on Earth is to look after each other, our planet, and our future generations. I remember you mentioned Dr. Neal. I remember she had a T-shirt on the trip that said, Reduce, Reuse, Recycle, or Refuse. That's such a good message. Um, if, if people would just consider taking 20 minutes out of every week to do something positive for our environment, they'll feel better, and so will our planet. I just, uh, I just know that, that what you have done over the years, and I've known you, as I say, for... 40 years, I guess, when we first met in Sausalito, um, has made such an enormous difference. It's a legacy that you're leaving behind, and I, I'm grateful for, for that, and I'm grateful for my part in, uh, in being able to help with that, Mary. Well, thank you, John. You were a big help, and you are a big help. It's such a pleasure to uh, share this show with you because you are so articulate at putting out this really important message. So I so appreciate your uh, dedication and help. Well, thanks. And, and Eddie's telling me that we do have a caller, and let's see if we can get the caller on the line. Go ahead. Hi, caller. You're on the line with Mary Crowley, and I'm John Azaro. Hi, and thank you for the show. Can you guys hear me okay? Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah, um, one thing that I don't see talked about often enough, I, in my opinion, is just the amount of consumerism um, and the need to reduce consumerism. And I think, I know it might be viewed as bad for the economy to not consume so much. So I think from the top down, we don't see that message often enough. But I think it'd be wonderful to have some PSAs, um, you know, of not just alternative things we can buy, but uh, just reducing our consumption habits. Uh, as Americans, you know, we're responsible for a huge amount of the consumption and destruction of the environment. So the easiest solution to me is to consume less uh, and then go towards, um, you know, the better uh, things we can buy. About it, you know, and to make matters worth 2020 with the uh, with the pandemic, it forced an tremendous uh, amount of new plastic waste, uh, more than 30% uh, over 2019. And, and that, oh my God. yeah, and, and that's because you couldn't reuse your bags at the store. And actually, you know, you didn't need to use your bags. You could just take the cart outside and put all your stuff in your car. You know, there's, there's ways of getting around this. And all of a sudden we were back to single use plastics, those, those black, those plastic bags that are everywhere. And uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, we, we, we can't live in a throwaway society. There is no away. Yeah, and if I could add two more quick things. Okay. You know, do the plant-based plastics, Eddie, do we have one I understand. More I'm, I just, hold on one second. Eddie, is there one more call yeah, yeah. holding? No, okay. Please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, I would just like to say, you know, we had that drought um, followed by the super tide, the king tide, um, that went up Fort Bragg and uh, contaminated our drinking water. And so a lot of the businesses couldn't use um, their dishwashers and their bathrooms. And we did the same thing. We switched over to all plastic and, and, you know, stuff that was totally destructive. And the other thing I think is worth noting is the plant plastics, you know, that biomass really should be composted and returned to the soil from which those things were grown from because we're losing soil at an alarming rate. So again, I think getting away from consumption and just, you know, becoming stronger on our own as a community, producing more things locally is a big solution. Well, thank you for your call, and certainly can't disagree with that. Uh, oh, okay, Mary? Mm -hmm. it's, it's 
so much consumption and so much packaging and there's just thoughtful, innovative ways that can recycle and reuse and change and and uh, consuming less is, is an important part of it. You know, my wife just bought me a little flashlight, and in order to open it out of the out of that super strong plastic, I practically had to use a blowtorch to get the plastic off, just to get the thing out. And I remember people saying, "Well, you know, the plastic should be left at the counter. You could open it in the store after you paid for it, take the flashlight, and and then leave the plastic for them." Because it was a terrible thing to try to cut it open, and it wasn't cutting, and we just needed the flashlight. It was crazy, but that's happening all the time. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to add uh, one other thing. I had the privilege of going to the um, Queensland University research station on the Great Barrier Reef. And uh, when I saw firsthand diving, uh, the acidification, the results of that bleaching on the reef and how much of that reef is dying, it just became clear that, that in addition to the toxics, the plastics, uh, the sea temperature rise, the rising sea levels, the extreme weather conditions, these things are all related. And um, and we're the only ones that can fix it. And and as, as elders, I think that if we can't leave, it's our responsibility to leave the planet better than we found it. But short of being able to make all those changes and to do that, at least we can leave some trail markers and guides for those who follow us and let them go on the right path. I'm thinking of my own grandchildren when I say that. Mary, before we conclude, is there anything else that you would like to add? Well, I, I think just um, uh, kind of strengthening the beautiful thought you're closing with. I mean, that's part of why I have such a strong passion to affect solutions to this ocean plastic deluge on our planet is that this all sort of happened on my watch during my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think young people are wonderful, and I really applaud some of the young people I'm working with that contribute tremendous amounts. We have a, a young man from Ireland who's a really expert drone pilot that's out on one of our vessels right now looking for ghost nets to tag. Um, but I, I feel that we have to show not only a few guideposts, I think we have to show that we can create change and affect solutions because, you know, this planet that we have with so many people living on it and with the whole climate change situation and all the things happening, we're, we're leaving young people with quite a challenge. And so I think it's wonderful to really get engaged in trying to create all the change we can. Because when I hear people say, oh, the young people are so wonderful, they'll figure it out. And I think to myself, uh, you know, we've cre this mess has been created during our lives. We should be dynamic parts of figuring it out, too, and uh, with the young people, but uh, 
now is the time, and and it's an honor to do this sort of work. And John, I think you and I both know that it's the most joyful work in the world to make positive differences for people. I I totally agree, Mary. We have one more call. Let's just see what that's about, and and then we can wrap up together. Hold on. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, I'd like to say I I watched a program on um, on the internet that showed uh, since China has not has stopped taking our garbage hello? that hello. Go ahead. Please finish your question. We're we're running out of time. We just have a minute left. Oh, okay. There were large piles of plastic destined for the landfill that was supposedly recycled in Thailand and so on. It doesn't sound like you're doing that, but I'd like you to address the the question of recycling. I, I, we we certainly will. That's a, that's a very good point. Okay, we we lost that call. All right. Well, Mary, before we close, I'd like to know how listeners can let our listeners know how they can learn more about the Ocean Voyages Institute and what they can do to possibly help. Can you take a moment for that, please? Well. Um, Ocean Voyages Institute, we lost that call, unfortunately. Ocean Voyages Institute is uh, online, and there are videos of uh, the expeditions in the harvesting of the plastics, and you can go online and find that, just as you can go online and find lots of environmental organizations and what they're doing out there. Um, I'd like to close by reminding you that the Reclaimed Art Show will be at the Corner Gallery in Ukiah. It opens on Tuesday, June 1st, and will run for a full month. The gallery is open on Tuesdays through Saturdays from 11 to 5. And the Corner Gallery is located at 201 South State Street. So you're in for a treat when you go there. Um, We appreciate your listening in and those callers who called us. And I will say um, thank you to Eddie for running the board and the phone lines tonight. And this is John Azaro saying good night to everyone. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willetson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.